If you'd like to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Romans 14, that's where we're going to be today. Before we get into our text, I want to start out with a story. It's a true story of how I sat with a weeping mother several years ago. And she was telling me the situation that had happened in her life, specifically with her and her husband, but more specifically with her 10-year-old son. As I sat and talked with this mom who was sharing with me the story of what she had gone through, I cannot help but think today that it relates so well to what the Apostle Paul has told us in Romans 14 about why the church needs to get along, how far things can go if we're not being intentional about moving forward in our Christian life and making sure that as we are moving forward, we're taking others along with us. It is a group effort. And as God has given us the church, we understand that challenges will come up. This particular boy, when he was 10 years old, found himself in a situation where he had to sleep on the floor of mom and dad's room for several weeks because he was scared. The reason that he was scared is what will probably stand out to you. It's what stood out to me. This young boy would sleep on the floor because he was afraid someone was going to break in the house and someone was going to hurt him. And the reason why he thought that was because of a problem that was going on of all places in the church that he went to. You see, in the church that young Matt went to, there was a problem. Some folks had this opinion of something. Other folks had a different opinion of something. It wasn't a doctrinal issue. It was nothing black and white. In fact, you can probably see uh, cases for both sides and probably land on either side. But what happened was, is there were some individuals in the church that felt so strongly about this issue that they started to get vocal about it. And they started to gather other people to agree with them. And people on the other side, they felt very strongly, equally as strong. And they gathered to get people to agree with them. And it got to the point where the church was going to vote on something. And as they were going to vote on something... The father of young Matt found himself one day in his driveway pulling in with his wife and his son. And as he pulled in, there were three guys in a car out on the street. And as soon as he got out of his car, he went, or these three guys came up and surrounded him and backed him up against the car and yelling, making threats, and telling him that he better do what they wanted him to do or else. I don't think there would have been any physical threats that, uh, or that would have been followed through with. But this young boy, Matt, observed these different grown-ups fighting back and forth. This young man observed the place where love is supposed to be felt the most and how it was actually the opposite of love that was going on. And so when we look at a situation like that, And now if I can just point you to that boy lying on the floor, crying, scared, someone's going to break into the house and hurt him. When we look at that, we can all say right now, this should not be. And we might even, if we're being wise, ask the question, what can we do to avoid this? How can we keep that from going on? As we look in Romans chapter 14 today, 
what we're going to see is that in healthy churches, you will find individuals that love the Lord that are working specifically on two things. One thing is you're working hard not to make a brother fall, stumble. And by that, we mean really walking away from the church, maybe walking away from his faith. The other thing that we'll see is individuals that love God should be working to lift others up, acting as stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. Now, we're familiar with the issue that's going on here. The issue in Rome, we've been talking about all throughout our study. There were two different sides, and it was mainly the Jews versus the Gentiles. I don't think that we can know for sure exactly what the issue was. I mean, as as far as who was bothered about what. It could be that uh, the Jews were bothered about the Gentiles eating or vice versa. Also, holy days was something that they were arguing over. But we know that some ate certain kinds of meat and others did not. Some celebrated holy days and others did not. Now, when we want to fast forward this text to ourselves today, there are all kinds of hot-button issues that will come up. There are issues we talked about a few last week, not at length, and I'm not going to really mention too many more issues because it doesn't matter if it's the meat eaters versus the non-meat eaters or if it's the uh, face mask people versus the non-face mask people. Have we fast-forwarded today fast enough for us? That's not the goal that Paul has when he gives us this text. He knew the solution biblically to what should be done as far as who was right and who was wrong. But if you remember from last time, Paul does not say it's important that you're on the right side of this issue. Instead, what Paul tells each side is you both need to be accepting the other. And why is it that both sides have to accept the other? It's because God has accepted them both. This is not an issue of salvation or issue of doctrine that we are focusing on here. And everyone is supposed to accept everyone else. We'll be a little bit more pointed today, and I think the heart of what Paul is teaching is geared toward the strong Christians in the church. I recognize nobody wants to be called a weak Christian, and I promise I won't call anybody that, even though I think all of us stand in that category a little bit sometimes. There's just an evolution of us getting stronger, and there's some issues that I'm weak on still. No one wants to be called weak, but obviously we find a challenge here for the strong. And what I see here as Paul teaches through this, the first thing about mature Christians in the church is mature Christians must guard against becoming a stumbling block. You need to be going out of your way, doing all that you can do to make another, to not, to keep from making another stumble. And he gives two specific ways that we can do this. The first one, do not allow anything that is non-moral to be viewed as right or wrong. So this is for the strong. He is telling you, you have a responsibility to not let the minor issues be elevated to where they're a major issue. Something that is not right or wrong in itself, do not allow that to fall into that kind of a place. Look with me starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but decide, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Right there he says it. There is a responsibility for the strong in the church to not allow things that aren't major issues to be elevated to that point. Major problems can happen if that takes place. Now, how is it that I can stop any kind of work that would make a brother fall? Well, as we learn about liberties that come in our life, we have to keep in mind the different people around us that aren't in the same place with that liberty. Those of you who, who, who have raised children or seen children grow up, you do not expect, a, a, you do not expect a, an 8-year-old to act like a 15-year-old. The same thing happens with Christians in their walk with God. And we get impatient, don't we? We get impatient expecting people who are new believers or even weak believers. They're not straight on what the Bible says about something. We expect them to act in a way that is beyond them. But the real danger comes in when someone violates their conscience. We need to not ever do anything for ourselves that we believe is wrong. But more than that, what we're seeing here is you need, to be, you need to be sure that you are not trying to get someone else to violate their conscience. So if I know that this sister in Christ know, believes this is sin, and I kind of know what the Bible says about it, and she's not right, I do not work and say, you know what, it's going to be okay, just do that. Well, I feel like it's wrong, I feel like it's sin. God is leading me not to do that. And to pressure someone to violate their conscience. God's Word is extremely clear about the danger of violating your conscience. 1 Timothy 4.2 says, when it talks about this seared conscience, it gives the picture of scar tissue building up over someone, someone no longer sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit about sin or a particular kind of sin because they've allowed themselves to grow cold towards something to no longer be affected by it. I found myself in a conversation years ago with a, a friend, and this friend's life and marriage was devastated by adultery. And as we talked through multiple times and we discussed that issue, he said something that really jumped out to me, and I, I didn't believe him then. And now I do believe him with what he said. As I talked with him, he told me I got to a point where I was involved in that affair and I got to the point where I no longer thought it was sin. Now, I need to let you know this person knew the Word of God. He had read Exodus chapter 20 where it says right there, thou shalt not commit adultery. And so when he told me I no longer thought it was sin, what do you think my first thought was? I thought, well, that's ridiculous. You know what the Word of God says about adultery. That's what Paul's talking about here. For someone to violate their conscience and then do it again and then again to the point where they're no longer convicted about that, even when it is sin, 
And there is a danger in violating your conscience. It can become seared to the point where you will say, I didn't even think that was sin. And I might tell you, it's black and white right here. But the Holy Spirit has been hindered by what you are doing. Verse 14 there says the unclean thing. We see that the unclean thing is actually clean. So Paul is patient enough with these strong believers to give them the explanation and say, yes, what those folks are calling unclean is actually clean. But that's not the point. We don't stop there. We don't say, okay, Paul, thank you for that. Now we're going to go and use that as ammunition against our brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with us. It's nice that he gives the answer, but that's not the point. The point is, how are you going to treat someone that disagrees with you? Jesus Christ had already told them that all foods are clean. We're going to see later on in our study that Jesus Christ is the best example of what Paul is teaching here. Christ said, all these foods are clean, you can eat them all. And were the disciples, were they slow learners or were they fast learners when it came to to eating those things? They were very slow. Some of you remember that dream that Peter had. Remember that? I think it was Acts 11. Rise, kill, and eat. Oh, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that's not kosher. What I have called clean, don't call unclean. That's that first point. We need to be very careful to not say God said something when God did not say it. And woe to those that do. Woe to those that lead others astray and get a strong following. Because most of us, we just trust some certain leaders, don't we? Don't you? That's where I was at growing up. I can remember having questions, and I knew the answers were in the Bible, but I would sometimes call my pastor and ask him the question. And he had already done all the work for me, so I'm just going to trust him. Woe to those who have influence that teach others that God said something that he did not say. So there's a minor lesson here, very minor, but I'm going to tell it to you. And then there's a major lesson. Please don't miss that. The minor lesson is this. Moral evil does not exist in non-moral things. Something that is neutral, we need to not try to attach a morality to it. Like a, like a, like a musical note on the piano. That note's not evil or holy. That's the lesser issue. And I hope that some of them in Rome didn't grab a hold of that and stop listening and go and run to to wave their finger at others that disagreed. That's not the major lesson. Here's the major lesson. Are you going to place what you want to eat? Are you going to place your opinion, your preference, what you feel strongly about ahead of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I recognize that it's strong verbiage for someone to be so passionate about something that it comes ahead of the gospel of Christ. But I want to suggest to you, that's what Paul is saying here. Very, very practically, as I walk through this for us to apply to our lives today, I walked through in my 40-plus years of going to church and 20-plus years in ministry, and I tried to come up with examples of individuals that have walked away from the church, 
because of a minor issue. And I, and I really, I couldn't come up with very many names. I really couldn't. I mean, I, I know there's issues that we fight about. I know folks have strong opinions on either sides. But just so we can apply this book to our lives, I could not come up with hardly any. I thought of maybe one that's walked away because of that disagreement that it seems like Paul's talking about here. And yet, at the heart of the message, we find individuals that will walk away from the church. Some will turn their back on Jesus Christ as much as they can in their lives if they're a follower of God. And individuals who will do that were not necessarily the ones that were going back and forth and fighting. Do you know who the ones that walk away from church are? They're the little kids sitting in the back seat of the car watching the people fight. And I imagine you might not be able to list too many that felt so strongly about this that they left church. But we probably wouldn't have to seek very far to find individuals that observed two people disagreeing, disputing, that have said, if that's what church is about, I'll never go in church again. Do you know somebody like that? I can remember it like it was yesterday. Somebody telling me my husband will never step into the foot of a, step foot into a church again because of how he saw these people treating each other. It does not mean we don't study. It does not mean we don't have opinions about things. Paul is telling us there is something incredible that is at stake. The second way that we guard against becoming a stumbling block is by always demonstrating love over our personal liberties. Look at verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by man. Paul is telling the leaders, the strong Christians, it is not about your liberty. I'm glad you've discovered that. I'm glad you're progressing in your knowledge of the Word. But when it comes to a sensitive issue, and when it comes to you applying your life to that issue, it's not about your liberty. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who are looking on, they are watching. They are watching you. Jesus Christ said, they will know that you're my disciples by your love one for another. So instead of liberties, it's about one heart connecting to another. Year after year after year. One heart connecting to another. That must never fail in a church. Instead of liberties, it's about the joy that the Holy Spirit brings when sinners work together. And the Holy Spirit does that incredible work in our lives. You must guard against doing something that's going to cause someone to stumble. And then we need to be constantly acting as stepping stones. That's the second thing. Mature Christians are consistent stepping stones. Look at verse 19 through 23. So then let us pursue what makes for peace, for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. 
Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So he kind of repeats there. All food is good, but the food can turn bad if it is used in a bad way. You have this opportunity. You have this liberty that you have learned from. And, oh, the freedom. When you learn about liberty, when you learn about the freedom in God, it is just like a breath of fresh air sometimes. And so we praise God for that. But we can take that blessing from God and use it in an awful way. And so the point is, when you, if I can borrow Paul's illustration, when you sit down to share a meal with another group, the point is not that you get to eat your favorite kind of food. The point is not even that you get fed. If it comes to some kind of a sensitive issue, the point needs to be from start to finish, how can I encourage my brother? We are on a different page. How can I lift them up? And we started out in Romans 14 by saying we don't do these things just to get them to agree with us, just to get them over to the other side. The point in getting involved in these things, first of all, needs to be how can I help this one be closer to God? Is it right to think on sensitive issues? Absolutely. You're not going to be able to go through this world and spend any time with other Christians without facing some of these issues. So you have a responsibility of knowing, is it right or is it wrong? But when we move from that in our personal lives, in our homes, and we try to transpose that and force that upon everybody in our church assembly, when I try to make others agree with me on my preference, my favorite way, or maybe even try to do something they're not comfortable with, that is a dangerous place, and that is a church that is heading for trouble. But if you're like me, you study a text like this and you say, well, well how far do we go with that, right? Is, is that a good question? How far do we go as a corporate church body? How far do we go with not offending a brother or a sister? It's a great question. In order for a church to do things decently and in order, how do we take this text and apply it? I think the following is a good way to apply that question. The individual conscience cannot control the corporate expression. I'll give you two reasons for why this is so. The individual conscience cannot control the corporate expression, and it's going to be up to the strong believers to make sure this does not happen. If the individual conscience is controlling the whole church, a couple things are going to happen. First of all, for the teachers, some of you are teachers, 
in the church here. For the teachers, it's a nightmare to keep straight what is sin and what is not sin. Okay, we move from the 50s into the 70s. What is sin and what is not sin? God's word is not dictated by the generation that we live in. We do not define God's word by the culture that we live in. We take God's word and we apply it to the culture and to our day. And when we find individuals that are trying to preach things as sin that are not sin, it's just, it constantly changes. It constantly changes. Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And then five years later, why well, God's not saying that anymore because nobody's really doing it. We change what we call sin, and that's a nightmare. And then the other thing that's a struggle when the individual conscience controls the corporate expression is, as a church, as a church assembly, we're always defaulting to the weakest believer. Does that make sense? In, in a group of believers, you're going to have some that understand liberty, understand freedom, and they practice those. But if we're going to let the weakest individual dictate what the whole church does, it's impossible to regulate that. And so you cannot impose that upon the whole church body. We cannot let the weakest, weakest conscience be the default setting for everybody else. And in a similar way, the assembly cannot demand from the weakest that they comply. They have to let them do what God is telling them to do, allowing the Word of God and the Spirit of God and their conscience, if you will, to lead that. I think that Romans 14 is written for the leaders in the church, the influencers. And it's rare that I'll wag my finger and say shame on you, but I'm going to say it today. Not to any of you. You're off the hook. Shame on those leaders that bring up issues that God is not clear on and making them fighting issues. And oftentimes, the ones that oppose them, they'll continue in church and they'll be all right. But the 10-year-old kid in the back of the car, crying, afraid to sleep alone in his room at night, he's the one, he is the weak one, watching these ones that are supposed to be strong duke it out. He's the one that's affected and shame on anyone who works to cause division over things that the Bible's not clear on. I mentioned some of those issues last week when I came here to Calvary, and I think it's fair to give credit where credit is due. Obviously, the Lord gets most of the credit, but God used good leaders, faithful men who had opinions about things, a faithful pastor who pastored this church for over 40 years. And you can ask him what his opinion was on some of these things. But he did not say, thus saith the Lord, when God didn't say it. And very importantly to our point, he practiced what we need to practice so that we don't find the collateral damage laying down in our wake. What do we see that we're supposed to do? When you grow as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to study God's Word, you're going to learn something, and the light bulb's going to go off. But, but how, do you, how do you treat that? What if somebody else feels differently? 
What, what do you do when you gain some freedom, some liberty? Do you just have to hide it? Well, no. God wants us responsibly studying the Scriptures for ourselves. But there's a way that we can move forward in love. When you look at the old practice of tightrope walking, there was something that was extremely strategic to them walking a tightrope. And what was strategic to them walking that rope was a balance bar or a carry bar is what they would call it. Carry bars can be up to 39 feet long. They can weigh up to 31 pounds. And an individual walking across, risking his life, walking over a tightrope would carry one of those bars. There's two reasons that come to my mind right away, one I just learned of. One, of course, is to change the center of balance in that person so they don't fall to their death. And the other has to do with torque. Some of you guys like a lot of torque in your truck, I guess, right? And just by holding that bar and turning it a little tiny bit, you can change it. I have some blocks up here, and I need some help. Gordy and Billy, this is your reward for sitting in the front row. Gordy, there's some blocks over there. Billy, there's some blocks over there for you on this side. All right, don't do anything yet, and don't do anything fast, because I don't want you to surprise me. Now, I have represented here love and liberty. I think liberty's on this side. Congratulations to all of you on that side, liberty. When God allows you to study His Word and allows you to learn something, and the light bulb goes off, freedom, liberty. Understand that as you are walking forward, it is a dangerous place for you to just allow yourself to get that liberty without the counterbalance. Gordy, would you take two blocks and gently, gently put them in that bag right there if you can. For the one whose life is in danger and for the one who's trying to balance, you can let it go. Oh, all right, now I'm shaking. God allows you to learn these things. But you must, according to God and according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 14, you must, when you gain these liberties, balance it with what? Can you read? Love. Help me out, Billy. Put two blocks in on that side. It's getting heavy, Billy. There you go. Ah, that's better. A few years later, you're studying God's Word or you're talking with a mature Christian and you have a change of heart about something. It's not a change of heart about what's black and white in God's Word, but you have a change of heart. And you get some more, two more. Look at that. Good job with your progressive sanctification, Gordon. Look at that. Okay. Okay. All right. I can move forward with that. But when I come to my brothers and sisters in Christ and I don't balance it out, I'm going to barrel somebody over. Billy, help me out. Now, is it easy? No. But God didn't promise it would be easy. But here's what God did promise. He promised that as you move forward, He will be with you. And you are not, you are not to be alone on this journey. Is it important for you to study what's right and to know? Yes, it is. But you cannot go and just run over everybody else in the church when they're not there yet. 
And the way that you move forward is by sometimes not eating the meat, sometimes eating the meat. But whatever you do, and whatever the issue is, you always move forward, balancing what you've learned with the love of God. And that is how God brings glory to himself by his beautiful church. <sighs> the freedom, the freedom that he allows us to learn, to learn about. But you're going to be all by yourself if you don't balance it with love. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, when we come to you, and we look at what you have done for us, the ultimate demonstration of love, we praise you, we lift our voices, we allow our hearts to reflect, reflect back that love. God, I thank you that you allow us not only to be saved and have eternity secure, but you allow us, Heavenly Father, to have success in this world, joy, righteousness, watching people observe the Christian life, grow in their own life, looking at others grow. What a blessing it is to be part of your plan of the church. Heavenly Father, would you allow us to not move too fast ahead of others and the danger that can come when we're doing, when we're doing our process and we are, we are doing our Christian life and not balancing it with love. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray. It could be today that you are on the end of judging someone who doesn't have enough standards like you have. Or maybe you're judging someone for not knowing God's word as well as you know it. You might want to pray about that during this time. I can give you a chance to pray right now. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. Listen to me. For your sins, Jesus died. And it's because of that sacrifice on the cross that you can have forgiveness. Christ conquered death and he conquered sin for you. And even in this moment, if the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart, you can pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins and make you his son or his daughter and he promises to save you. Take just a moment to pray. Amen.